Welcome to So Says Rick. Mostly True Stories by Rick Hall. Hi, welcome to our next episode. What number is it? I don't know. I think it's 37. See how many we've done? We don't even know how many. That's anymore. right. That's right. And ironically, Laura's birthday was yesterday, and it was your 37th birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday, honey. Thank you, Rick. We went on a trip up to Idlewild, up in the mountains, and we rented a cabin for a couple days. It was really a little romantic getaway. It was very lovely. Yeah. Yes, we've had a nice hike. They had a hot tub. Oh, yeah. Hot tub for the old people. No. <laughs> Sorry. You just said I turned 37. I know. Sorry. <laughs> um, what else? Oh, yeah. Hey, we got some nice feedback from our last episode when we talked about Ronnie Cox, the actor, songwriter, singer. And you had a gig coming up with him. Yeah, I was going to play piano and accordion with him, but it got canceled. Yet another thing canceled because of COVID. Yeah, but Ronnie is still out there doing it, man. He, yeah, he's a great songwriter. He actually has a new album that he put out during the pandemic. Great. And uh, we were going to play those songs. Wow. Well, hopefully that will come back. Yeah. Hey, I got a little bad news. Just yesterday, actually, my friend from back home, Bill Rice, passed away really suddenly, too. Mm -hmm. And Bill was like a fixture in our church and in our family. He and his wife, Gwenda, have been, I've known them all my life. They're just a little bit older than me. And Bill was such a great guy. Yeah. I I just can't explain how much he's going to be missed by, I know his family, but everybody around him. He and his family owned Rice's Seed Company, which sometimes we'd get seed from for planting alfalfa or soybeans or whatever. Do they still own it? Yeah, yeah. It's oh, still yeah. active. And actually, we used Rice's Seed Company when we shot our movie Slice of Pie down on the farm. That was one of the main places we shot. And their family just let us have the run of the place and use the machines and and bought us lunch. You know, when you're shooting with no budget and somebody buys you lunch, you're like, this is the best. <laughs> I don't know if you realize it, honey, but one of my characters in my one-man show, Pig Boy, I wore a Rice's Seed hat in those scenes. Oh, with, I didn't with remember old, that. Yeah, with that older character. Yeah. We miss Bill Rice, and I'm grateful for having known him. Yep. Well, things are starting to pick up here in Los Angeles, I think. We taught our first in-person classes last week. Yes, it was very exciting, but it felt weird. It was. It almost was like we forgot how to do it because we hadn't done it live in person right. for we, a year and a half. We went to pack up our gear, and we're like, what do we need to take? <laughs> what do we bring? <laughs> duh, duh, duh. But it was so fun. It was so nice to have that connection with real students in a room. And I have to say, it was down in San Diego with Finest City Improv, and man, those guys are good. Yeah. It was one of those nights where the students did a show that night, and instead of getting nervous and like not doing quite as well, they brought their A-game for the show. They completely rose to the occasion. Right. It was really fun. 
Hey, and your online class is going, and you've got quite a few students, right? Yeah, it's not a regular class that you attend. It's videos that they can watch anytime they want at their own pace. But we've got our first group of students, and we're going to have a little online Q&A pretty soon. That's and, question and answer, yes. by the way. <laughs> and I've been getting some nice feedback from them, too. The students have been sending me emails. So they're learning stuff in their class? They are learning stuff. Wow. So what you have done is actually working. <laughs> <laughs> I'm teaching them something. It's yeah. so exciting. Speaking of teaching, you get to do something fun this weekend that I don't get to go do. Yes, that's true. <laughs> I'm going to go teach at Improv Utopia, it's called. It's a camp at Yosemite. And I'm going to teach with my friend, Shuli Cowan, who is a fantastic music improviser, just like you, Rick. Thank you, honey. <laughs> so we'll be up at a camp. We get to go hiking in Yosemite, as well as having a total immersion experience with improv. And you'll be teaching music improv again. Yes, Shuli. Shuli is so good at it. I, I'm, I'm glad you're teaching with Shuli. If you're going to teach with somebody, teach with the best, honey. There you go. You know, the last few episodes, I've talked a lot about being a farm boy. And I want to tell a story this time about my beginning of my acting career in Chicago when I moved to Little Italy. Which is when I met you, too. That's right. right. That's right. Yeah. So here's Rick's story. Stunningly, it's called Little Italy. <laughs> when I graduated from high school, I headed to McMurray College, a full 45 miles north of the farm. Now, I had always liked working with animals, so I was planning on being a veterinarian. But my first semester there, I auditioned for a play, and the next thing I knew, I was a theater major, which thrilled my parents because they knew I could make a good living at that. I mean, face it, as a veterinarian, you just never know where your next paycheck will come from. After I graduated from college, I worked on the farm over the summer, but I told my parents that even though it was harvest season, on November 1st, I was packing up my bags and heading to Chicago to start my career as an actor. My college friend Mike said I could live with him. He was a chemist by day and played the upright bass by night. He lived in Little Italy. Man, I was all set. November 1st, I drove from the farm straight to the Shirley Hamilton Talent Agency for my first agent meeting. I was sitting in the waiting room ready to take the acting world by storm. I remember thinking how much my life had changed in that five-hour drive to Chicago. I wasn't a farm boy anymore. I was a Chicago actor. I crossed my legs and looked down, and that's when I noticed I had dried cow manure on the side of my shoe. You can take the boy off the farm, but you can't get the poop off his shoes. Nevertheless, the meeting went well. I ended up with an agent. I was over my first hurdle. But I wasn't sure if this farm boy was going to fit in in Little Italy. When I got there, there were a group of boys in their early 20s hanging out on the street. It turns out they were there day and night, making sure people who didn't belong there knew they didn't belong there. They were blocking the sidewalk. Johnny, the spokesman for the boys, said, "'You Italian?' Without hesitating, I said, "'What the hell you think, you Italian?' The boys parted and let me pass. I'd aced my first audition and gotten the part of Italian guy in Little Italy. The next day, when I saw the boys, they called me Mork. They thought I looked like Robin Williams. Well, the name stuck, and in no time, everybody was calling me Mork.' By the way, if you're under 50 and don't know what the hell I'm talking about, just Google Mork and Mindy. 
Just like that, I belonged in Little Italy. I had a nickname for crying out loud. And when I started booking some commercials and TV shows, they'd stop me on the street and say, Hey, Mork, when you going to do another commercial? Or, Hey, Mork, I seen you last night on that TV show with that guy talking about the thing. I lived above a bar that was owned by Luke Campuano. Luke was a bit of a celebrity in Little Italy. He was a boxer who had had a heavyweight title fight that he almost won. He was good with the ladies, too. Rumor was that he had several affairs with married women in the neighborhood, but it never seemed to be an issue. I suppose the husbands were afraid of Luke, or maybe they were kind of proud of it. Hey, Angel, you telling me you slept with Luke Capuano? Oh, baby, that's something. One day Luke and I had a conversation. Hey, Mork, how you doing? Good, Luke. You? Ah, uh, you know. Hey, you should talk to your roommate, the magician. He should be more careful when he comes home late at night. Um, I don't have a roommate that's a magician. Yeah, you do. The one with the big guitar. Oh, him. Jeez, you live with a guy and you don't even know what he does for a living? Actually, uh, that's an upright bass. He's a musician. Yeah, that's what I said, magician. Anyway, he should be more careful with his gear. That stuff could be worth a thousand bucks, but the boys on the corner might just grab it one night and take it to the swap meet on Maxwell Street and get a hundred bucks for it. Now, don't get me wrong. They're good boys. They're just evil, you know? Now, honestly, I felt safe having the boys on duty. When I came home after doing the late show at Second City, they were looking out for me. My car was always safe parked on the street. Of course, my car was nothing to look at. It was a city car. It had been hit several times, so it was dented up. And one night when I was parked in a sketchy neighborhood, um, not my neighborhood, a different sketchy neighborhood, someone broke in and stole the stereo. I didn't replace it, so there was a large piece of the dash missing. The car looked like heck, but it ran like a top. One day I came out of my apartment, and Johnny was standing there looking at my car. Hey, Mark, is this your car? Yeah, Johnny, you know that. You got insurance on this car? Yeah. Full coverage? Yeah. A car like this could get stolen and never turn up again. You got full coverage. It could be a good thing. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, one night you could get everything out of it you need and then accidentally leave the keys in it and it could disappear and end up on that vacant lot on Halstead Street with a rag hanging out of the gas tank. And then some smart-ass kid comes along and lights a rag on fire, burns the car up. Could be a good thing, if you got full coverage. <laughs> well, that would be a lot of coincidence, now wouldn't it, Johnny? No, I mean, I could make that coincidence happen. It's a favor to you. Oh, Johnny, no, no, thanks. That's really sweet of you to offer, but I'm fine. Thanks for thinking of me, though. I, I like my car. Okay, Mork, it's up to you. Just remember, you are what you drive, and your car is a piece of shit. The boys weren't the only ones looking out for me. There was an older couple, Dolly and Mario, that owned a little storefront a block away from me. They kind of adopted me as part of their family. Dolly and Mario never called me Mork. They introduced me as their nephew, Ricky. The store was laid out with an L-shaped counter. One length of the counter was Dolly's domain, candy, gum, donuts, and coffee. The other length of the counter was Mario's territory with cigars and cigarettes. If you walked in and wanted, say, a Snickers bar, but Dolly was in the back, 
Mario wouldn't just reach over to her side and serve you. He'd say, Dolly's in the back. She'll be just a minute. Or if you walked in and wanted a cigar and Mario was out, she'd say, Mario's in the little boy's room. He'll be right back. One day I was driving home from an audition that I thought went particularly well, and I stopped at Dolly and Mario's store to get a cigar to celebrate. When I walked in, an old fellow named Cheesefeet was hanging out with Mario. By the way, everybody called him Cheesefeet. I never knew his real name. But Mario once warned me, If Cheesefeet comes into your house, don't let him take off his shoes, okay, Ricky? I told Mario about my audition and asked him what cigar he could recommend. Cheesefeet piped up. Give him a parati. Mario said, He don't want no parati. Wait, 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 what's a parati? It's an Italian cigar. I think I'd like a parati. Ricky, you don't want no parati. He can't handle a parati. Well, I couldn't back down from that challenge. Mario, give me a parati. Mario reluctantly reached under the glass and pulled out a small little cigar that was so dark it was almost black. It was obviously not a machine-rolled cigar because it was not perfectly round. As a matter of fact, it reminded me of my Aunt Leela's arthritic finger with a huge knuckle and a slight curve. I lifted it to my nose, and it smelled sweet. I was going to wait until later to smoke it, but when I turned around to leave, Cheesefeet was holding up a burning match. I put the parati between my lips and took a long, hard draw, pulling the flame into the cigar. It was so tightly packed I could barely get it lit. Indeed, it was like trying to smoke Aunt Leela's finger. But when the smoke hit my mouth, it was smooth. Cheesefeet was still holding the match as I blew it out, sending a small cloud of parati smoke in his face. Mmm, I said. Parati, I like it. As I walked out the door, I could hear Cheesefeet behind me. Enjoy your parati, Mork. In the one block that I drove to my apartment, I probably drew three puffs off my parati. It was fairly smooth with a slightly sweet aftertaste. What I didn't know was that the tobacco drying process for a parati is unique. As the leaves are hanging on a drying rack, they're gently sprayed with cognac and coffee. I also didn't know that the nicotine content of a parati is off the charts. Even though I wasn't inhaling the smoke, I had absorbed enough caffeine, nicotine, and alcohol to sedate a good-sized pony. I parked my car, opened the door, and promptly fell on the sidewalk while the world spun around me. I was sweating and nauseous. I spit out my parati and just laid on the sidewalk, trying not to toss my cookies. My neighbor Judy walked by, took one look at me, saw the smoldering arthritic finger laying beside me, and said, "'You enjoying your parati, Mork?' I tried to sit up, but laying still on the sidewalk felt good. It kept my world from spinning." Hey, hey, Judy, um, don't tell Cheesefeet. I'll mork. I'm sure he knows by now. Even in that pitiful state, I felt good. I wasn't just a fake Italian anymore. I was part of Little Italy. I was Dolly and Mario's nephew. I had smoked a parati, and I knew you never trust a guy named Cheesefeet. You got some great stories out of living in Little Italy. Oh, my gosh. That Little Italy was just full of great, rich characters. And actually, 
thinking I was Italian, I ended up playing like Chicago cops quite a bit. So it was great for my career, too. There you go. Although you have to admit that apartment was a dump. <laughs> it was. was. <laughs> well, I thought it was great. I, I mean, it was my first apartment. Uh, yeah, I it was loved your it. first like on your own grown up apartment. But, you know, the cockroaches, for example. OK, yeah, that's that was a little I bought a. I bought a couch down on Maxwell Street, and it was full of cockroaches, which I didn't know when I brought it up to the apartment. <laughs> Never crossed your mind. No, and the couch had no feet, so it just sat on the floor. But I thought it was great, but the cockroaches did kind of take over. Yeah, yeah. And then there was, you know, when you looked out the living room window, and there was a brick wall like two feet away. Yeah, you could actually touch the brick wall yeah. when you looked out. Your that, neighbor's house. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't a great view, but... If you went on the back porch, I was on the third floor, and you went on the balcony, you could see the Sears Tower. That's right. If you didn't mind looking through the power lines <laughs> and the transformer about eight feet away. And then when you got the garage, right, you oh, went that upscale was fancy. and Ooh, got a garage. I got yeah. a garage to park my car. But then the rats would walk <laughs> on the hood of the car and leave little footprints. And I was like, oh, look, there's kitty cat footprints. He's like, ah, those are rat tracks. <laughs> Which, by the way, in the story, when I fell out of my car, I was laying on that filthy sidewalk yeah. right outside the rat garage. So that gives you a little perspective on that. <laughs> Hey, speaking of rodents, one time Laura was over at my apartment and she went in the bathroom and I heard her scream and she said, get in here, get in here. And I opened the door. She was standing on the toilet and there was a mouse on the floor. And do you remember what you said? I said, eep. <laughs> I actually did. I couldn't believe those were the words that came out of my mouth. But right, right. They did. Yes. But there were some good things that happened a there little were later, too. Like the time I found that ring by the curb. That right, I, in the gutter. In the yeah. gutter, yeah, <laughs> that I gave to you as your engagement ring. <laughs> okay, we did an episode about this, and it's way more romantic in the episode than, than what it, I than just it told it sounds like right <laughs> yeah. now, but yes, exactly. It was a cute ring. It was beautiful. It was. I loved that ring. And you got to admit... If you wanted Italian ice or Italian beef, where did you go? Right outside your door. That's right. You go down the stairs and take a left, and there you were at the best Italian ice in Chicago. So you can't make fun of my uh, Chicago apartment because it was beautiful. Hey, thanks for joining us here on So Says Rick. It was good to have you here. You want to go get a beef and sausage, Larry? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 